The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Quartz 96 FM. I have good news and I have bad news for you. This Monday morning, the 1st of February, St. Bridget's Day, I have good news and I have bad news. Will I give you the bad news first? I will. This is not the first day of spring. Get that owl bit of folklore nonsense out of your heads now. And please, if your teachers are teaching your children this in school, stop them. It is BS. This is not the first of spring. The first of spring is the first of March. If you want me to prove it scientifically, I'll do it for you. If you can prove it to me scientifically that the first of February, first of spring is anything other than folklore and owl nonsense, come forward. On the good news side of it, we're doing very well on the COVID numbers in Cork. We are doing much, much better in the last few days, and I'll give you those in the next while. Good morning, 1850-715-996, the number, the text to WhatsApp, 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. Coming up later, leaving cert students are wondering what the plans are for them what is the minister, what is the Taoiseach going to announce this week? We know they're talking about it. We know they're thinking about it. We know they're wondering what to do about it. Well, what are they going to do about it? Because the time is running short for students to be given something certain. We'll be hearing from a student in the next while. Also, Ollie. We had little Ollie's folks on the programme here last summer. Ollie did an Adam King on it on Friday night in that he lit up the Late Late Show. Um, he was honoured on the Late Late Show by by um, by Ryan and his mom was telling his story and we'll be speaking to Ollie's mom just after 10 and on, on a sad note uh, it's very hard time to grieve we'll talk more about that later on but um, maybe advice on grieving and how you can help someone who's grieving in these very strange and difficult times but it is not the first of spring more of that but the numbers are going good more of that too right let us kick off by going to talk to Nicole up in Seminary Walk. Is it uh, Nicole, good morning to you. Yeah. I can't hear me? Yeah, you're there. Up in Seminary Walk, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Now, you sent photographs in of needles and other such paraphernalia in your garden. How long is this going on? Um, I'll tell you now, PJ, I'm living up here for nearly four years and in the four years it's, get, it's getting worse every single year um, like especially now like as it's kind of coming up to summer like that's that's not the first time we found needles in the garden you know and it's gotten to the stage now that like I have to tiptoe around my own garden you know in, in fear that we stand on this like we found needles we found spoons lighters rolled up tin foil um, cooking pots and pans you know it's 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 gone a bit too far now you know and I mean like I don't have kids we don't have kids but there's a lot of kids around the place and if they're in the garden they're going to be out in the road and you know like if, if any kid came along and picked that up do you know yeah. Yeah. all I'm afraid of is that it'll be something will be done before it's too late yeah when did you start noticing in first year you're there four years is it happening all along um, I'd say in the last two years maybe it's gotten very bad yeah now one of, one of the pictures like that's actually like a kit all the paraphernalia you need there to to shoot up are, are all there just in a kit and then they just dump the kit over the wall. Yeah, I, I mean, like, there's gear bags. We're finding gear bags inside in the garden, you know, everything. Um, you know, like, at the side of my house, there's an alleyway, you know, like, 
are they doing it there and, and dumping it? But as I said, look, if it's out in the road and like there's a lot of kids playing, mm. any one of them could pick that up, you know, and they don't know what that is. Have you reported it or tried to do something about it? Yeah, we have. The guards have been down countless times. We, at this stage, we're bringing them every week. I mean, it's, it's not just like the drugs and stuff. There's rubbish being dumped and burned as well every single week. Yeah, I saw those pictures. That's an awful mess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I'm looking out the, the kitchen window there now and all they can see out in the road is rubbish. Yeah, we've shared some of these pictures on our Twitter so people can see it. And and you're saying that you can almost guarantee that that rubbish will be will be set on fire? Guaranteed, yeah. Um, like, it's even there now, like, Christmas Eve, there was fires. Like, and, you know, it, it could be midweek, it could be at the weekend, it could be in broad daylight, you know. And, and the thing is, like, it's not the people living here that's doing it. These people are coming from elsewhere. I mean, like, it's a lovely area. All the neighbours have never had any problems. They're all really, really nice, you know, nice people, quiet families. Yeah. This is happening from elsewhere, you know. Yeah. And the one thing about the needles, you you can't really go picking them up yourself. What what are you doing to dispose of them? Are you are you trying to pick them up, or what are you doing? Um, yeah, see, that's the thing. Then you know, I mean, we've rang, um, like, I mean, we're working all day. Like, you know, I'm out at work. Whether people are calling, I'm not here. I don't know, so I don't want to say that. There's nothing being done about it. But anything that's in our garden, it's it's still there. You know, we're not going to touch that. No, no. So does any of it get taken away, or is it just continuing to mount up? Um, it's it's mounting up now over the last few weeks and I mean to be fair look it got to the stage that I had to put it up on Facebook to get a bit of traction but you know to be fair a couple of the local councillors have been in touch and they said they'll be down this week now today tomorrow and to try and get a sorted for us you know hopefully hopefully that does happen yeah yeah the explanation you hear from people who understand these things is that when someone shoots up with heroin or whatever it is they're using but let's say heroin they're so out of it in that minute and a half, two minutes, that they literally just chuck the gear away. They don't care where it goes, where the needle goes, where the, the, the spoon goes. They couldn't care less. They just, they're so out of it. Bang, gone. They're, they're hardly even responsible for what they're doing. So what you need to do is find out how they're gathering together and, and get them moved on, isn't it? Yeah, and I mean, like, look, always, like, you can see them when they're outside, you know. Um, they're... They're, they're there, but, I mean, I'm not going to go and approach them, no. you know? No, no, no. Does anybody, do you wonder? No, like, I mean, to be like, I mean, there's people here with kids. I don't think anyone wants to get involved with that, you know? Um, I mean, like, the guards, you'd see them patrolling around the place the odd time. But, like, I mean, when they're driving by, it doesn't mean that they're going to be there at that moment in time, you know? So, I, I, I and honestly, I don't know what we can do anymore. That's why I'm kind of looking for support from the councillors and from the guards and, you know, whoever. Just And, and again, like, there's the small kids around the place, you know, it's for them. You know, if I see something, I know not to touch it. They don't, you know. Yeah, yeah. I suppose, the, as regards the rubbish, when you complain it to the council, do they come out? I, I, mean, I mean, the councillor offer every week cleaning it. Yeah, in fairness. You know, they're 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 well aware of it, you know, and I mean like it goes from bags, black bags, refuse to I've seen washing machines, couches, wardrobes, beds, what? you know, and they're being yeah, I it, it's it's ridiculous. Like what? um yeah, that's a and, and like that's like you think you find this out in the country in a ditch. Yeah, and look as I'm saying, this is people coming along in cars, throwing them out the side and driving off again. This is not anybody local, you know. 
Um, I mean, there was one stage there during the summer, it was about maybe eight or nine o'clock in the evening and I, I pulled in the drive and I could see the smoke so I looked around the corner and it was only a small little fire now, a little black black bag from the bin. And there was two or three kids standing over. I said, lads, I said, move away from here, you know. And they were like, oh, but, you know, it was only a small little fire. I said, guys, move on. And I'd say 90 seconds later, there was a bang. There was an aerosol can inside and it that pop. Had they still been standing there, you know, could have taken the eye out of them. Serious burns could have been, you know, very serious. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's weird, though, that people come up there and just dump bits of furniture and, 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 and washing machines and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, some of the Some people said that you should have CCTV in the area and, and publish the pictures and all of that. Do, 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 do you think the, the council... Are, are you, sorry, Nicole, not that it actually matters, just be sure. Are you a council tenant? No. Are you on your no. eyes? Okay. Because you know, sometimes you can say to a council tenant, we'll go to City Hall, they're your landlord. Um, but do you, do you think this is all being taken seriously enough? I mean, an exploding aerosol can... You're right, that could that could kill or seriously injure someone. Yeah. Um, look, I mean, whether or not it's being, seri- being taken serious, I don't know. But at the end of the day, it's still happening, you know, and it's, you just need to put a stop to it. There's no CCTV up that anyway. Um, if it was there, would people take any notice? I'm not too sure. You know, I mean, you go down to a recycling centre there, and there's CCTV all over the place, and people still don't. You know, I'm not. I'm not too sure if anyone would take that seriously. Yeah, yeah. You, you get the notion sometimes that that some people are just dirty and they don't. Moreover, with I mean, the washing machines, like, and the dishwashers or whatever you're finding up there, like, it's free to dump them in, in the actual dump. Yeah, if it's yeah. in the back of your car, go out the flipping uh, ring road, and you can get in to the dump with the washing machine for free. You know, it's crazy. All right, look, uh, Councillor John Maher has been in touch, has he? Yeah, to be fair, look, Joe, uh, John Maher has been in touch. Um, Ken O'Flynn. Thomas Schools, Joe Cavanagh, they've all been in touch over the weekend. You know, to be fair to him, so look, hopefully something can be done. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously I'm not expecting a miracle, but just just to make the place a little bit safer, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, with the summertime coming, and the local, the children, the springtime, the children will be out playing, and the last thing you want is them, for one of them to trot on a needle, or like you say, the next fire, the next aerosol can blow up in some kid's face, and. Yeah, and, and I mean, like, it's, it's not even, you know, it's something needs to be done before the summer. Well. I mean, all the kids now, you know, they're out of school over COVID and all that. Right, they're all out and about, you yeah. know, so it needs, to be, it needs to be sooner rather than later, PJ, you know. All right. Okay, Nicole, thanks very much. 1850-715-996. She's up in, in, in um, Seminary Walk in Farinry. Uh, John Maher posted on our Twitter um, that he has been in touch with... Nicole, and it'll be sorted out, which is great. Um, there is a number that people can call to do with illegal dumping, and it's a 1-800 number, 22-22-26, 1-800-22-22-26. That's a 9-to-5 number that's available if there's illegal dumping going on. John has also posted a number for a needle exchange worker. I assume that that is because they would know what to do with dumped needles and how to dispose of them safely. Uh, 86 That's 86 if there are needles being dumped and you need to talk to an expert in that regard because you can't just go and pick these things up. And very, very prudent of Nicole not to try and pick them up. 
But that's the best bit. Like, why would anyone, why would you dump a sofa in the middle of a housing estate? Why would you dump a washing machine? A washing machine is a prime example. Whatever about a sofa, if you take a sofa to the dump, to, to the amenity centre outside there uh, on the South Link Road, where you have to pay to dump the sofa. Cost you about 20 quid and it goes into one of their big one of their big um, crates there. But a washing machine or a dishwasher or a cooker or anything like that, that's free. You just bring it in and you dump it. They might charge, they might charge you two quid to open the barrier. You bring it in and you dump it properly. And be, Why would you... And if you have it in the back of the car, what's what's wrong with you like? What's the matter with you? If it's in the back of the car, the back of the car, just go to the flip and dump. And if you try to tell me that's outside your 5K, I will come out the radio myself and slap you. That's an essential journey. Disposing of waste. If you want to be like that. Or if not, just keep it in the back garden until you can go to the dump. 1850-715-996 Oldies and Irish on Cork's 96FM with Hidden Hearing experts in helping people hear better for over 30 years visit hiddenhearing.ie The Takeover on Cork's 96FM weeknights from 7 on the Big Drive Home we give you the chance to take charge of our tunes join me Lorraine as you decide what songs we fire up The takeover. You pick what we play. See our song list on 96FM Insta Story. This is Corks Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 996. On Corks 96FM. Dan says, My birthday is March 20th, and I've known all my life the last, that is the last day of winter and the first day of spring. Well, Dan, you're really getting scientific now. March 20th, and in fact, it will be this year, or 21st, or 19th, in or around there, is the spring equinox. March 20th is the spring equinox. That is when the length of day and the length of night are exactly the same. And that is officially, astronomically, the first day of spring. You're absolutely right, Dan. And then for meteorological or dating or calendar purposes, we bring it back to the 1st of March being the 1st of spring. But Eugene, PJ, if March 1st is the 1st of spring, then when we have a leap year is Feb 29th, the first day of spring, to say it's the same day. No, Eugene, and you know that as a man who's into astronomy. You know that because the 29th of February is something that rectifies the calendars for us once every four years because a year is not exact. Ah, stop. You know better than that. Spring is the 1st of March. I will not hear a word said otherwise. 1850-715-996. Just on Nicole's problem, the Lord Mayor, uh, Joe Kavanagh was on to say, she was also on to him. She's addressed it, or he has addressed it rather. He's dealing with it through City Hall. He's also addressed another problem reported by Nicole and is dealing with it. So thank you for that, uh, Nicole, the Lord Mayor himself taking charge as well as John Maher and I'm assuming, uh, I'm assuming a number of your other councillors. 1850-715-996. If anybody, by the way, can provide me with a little bit of science to prove that today is the first of spring, I'd be glad to hear from them. But you can't. You can't. All you have is folklore and stories of old ones making crosses out of rushes. Right. Crucial talks on the Leaving Cert. 
and efforts to restart classes for children with special needs are to go ahead this week. All we know is they're going to sit down and talk. All we know is they have a few ideas on the table. All we know is that by the end of the week, we should know a lot more about what will happen with the Leaving Cert. Bernadette's been on with me before. Bernadette, I'm not too sure if this is the best phone line in the world, but we go for it anyway. You, you really need a decision, whatever it is, and you need yep. it quickly. Of course. Um, it's just, again, it's been a month uh, and still there hasn't been anything talked. There's been surveys run by the ISSU and there's just been a massive demand on some kind of decision to be made and it still hasn't been given to us. There's nothing. We're just driving on online online school, sitting at our desks about seven hours a day, uh, on the laptop, on the iPad, whatever you're using, and it's kind of getting old at this point, and people are, like, students are finding it hard to manage. We just need, I think, a decision made, whether it be at the end of the week or today or tonight. Like so. Reading from the Irish Times today... There seems to be a a choice between sitting exams in June or being awarded calculating grades, and that is that would be your choice. How would that sit with you? Um, Personally, I would prefer the choice. I think um, it's catering to all students, whether they wanted to do the leaving sort or whether they wanted uh, the predicted grades. It's catering to most people. Again, if we do go ahead with the traditional leaving cert as an option, I think changes should be made, um, no matter what, because coursework will not be finished, or it would be very hard to finish coursework. So I think the choice is um, absolutely ideal with altercations uh, to the leaving cert. Were you start, supposed to start mocks in a week or two now? Um, yeah, I was supposed to have mocks my mocks I think during the four, um, the day after um, Valentine's Day I think right. um, they have been pushed back well our ones uh, we've only said that they will be coming uh, we will be doing them after midterm but um, again um, we don't know with mock companies because so you buy the school buys mocks um, and there has been news that like some mock, um, mock companies aren't um, going to provide that's right Um and others will, like, it's still very... And that's the thing as well with um, schools. Um, that's why we need to kind of know if we're getting predicted grades or not, whether schools then can hold mocks or is it even necessary to hold mocks. Mm. Um, <clears throat> now, so today, I think, as well, on top of all of this, Bernadette, is is today is the deadline for putting your CAO form together. Like, like how how can you possibly do that? With all this going on, how can you do that with a, if you like, a straight mind? Of course, I, I, I really don't understand. Like, I know so many students who were rushing yesterday and they were like, yeah, with the stress of the leaving cert and the stress with online school, like, how how could they even, like, think about what they want to do in the future when they don't know what's going to happen with school in a week's time? Do you know what I mean? Like, it's very hard for students to even, like, pick or even, like, decide if they want to apply. Like, are they going to go to college this year? Like, do you know what I mean? It's very... Uh, it, it's just very uncertain. Mm. Like, have you something in particular that you'd like to do? Um, personally, I am going for medicine, and um, so I have the HVAC coming up soon. Oh, that on top of everything else. God, yeah, you poor girl. So it's been um, stressful, but um, I'm, I'm working through it um, as much you. as I, I that's, can. That's a very tough exam, isn't it? That HPAD, that's really hard, like. Um, yeah, it is. Um, I've just been practicing as much as I can, really. Um, 
I think just with as well with online school, it is um, kind of stressful. But you know, I I can I can only do and like as well with the COVID, we have to do the. It's the first year ever we have to do the exam at home. Um, so um, that's kind of a, a big change as well. Doing the HPAT, doing the HPAT at home, yeah. How, how yeah. is that? Is it done online or something? Yeah. Um. So there will be proctors, so there'll be people um watching us through our computers. I think. Um. Okay. And <laughs> yeah, I know it's kind of mad. Um. But uh, yeah. Do, those, put, do you mind me asking what age are you? Uh, seventeen. But uh, it's not watching. Um. I think it's they're just monitoring your computer rather than. Oh yeah. I, no, no. The reason I ask is like. Okay, you've got this massive exam which will determine your, whether you get into med, med school, whether you get the points or not. Yes. You've got the confusion over what's going to happen with your leaving cert. You've got to, trying to fill out a CAO form, trying to study online. How does your 17-year-old head not explode? Oh, he says it hasn't at this point. Um, I, like, it, it's very stressful. Um, but I, one thing I, I would advise all students to do is talk about it. Um, yeah. if you talk about it like you're going to get people who's like oh preaching oh yeah talk about it yeah and then some people don't take that advice I think it's really important that you get in contact with your teachers if you're feeling stressed get in contact with people that are have power over it whether like your mental health isn't worth any assignment due like it's it's just I think it's just important for students to remember that and as well with the leaving so like I feel um, it's just like it's it's so stressful, but Mm. like like there's so so much we can do. It's up to them, and like it's whether um, the board of education or the holy. Let's 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 pretend. Bernadette, for a second, that that it's not me here talking to you, but it is the Minister for Education or the people who can make the decisions. What would you, if you could speak to them directly right now, as a 17-year-old leaving her student who's told me all the things going on in your life, what would you say? Um, I, I, oh, it's hard. What are you doing? Like, really, like, why are you valuing a test over 61,000 students' mental health. Uh, the stress that you are inducing for nearly all of these students is is, is just astronomical. It's, re- it's really, like, not on. And, like, for like us to be in online school for a month expecting us to do a traditional leaving there as every single year. And, like, even compared to last year, it was cancelled within a month of talking and the cases were at 73 cases I think we are at I think 1.2k was yesterday cases and there still has been no decision and it's just really it's just it's taking a toll on people's mental health um, and I don't know if that's important to you at this point because it's just it's just very it, it shows in your decision making it shows in the way you're leading it and it shows in your um, interviews and it's I, I think it's just very it's very it's not it's not good leadership at the end okay. of the day I think well, you know uh, what if if I think if they were listening to that uh, listening to the voice of the student which to be fair to you Bernadette I don't think they've done I think mm. all these decisions are being made by by people whose leaving cert was a lawful long time ago Yes. And that's and the problem. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. Of course. All and right. Uh, you know? oh, yeah,
Listen, good luck and I hope you get that CEO sorted out today and that good luck in the HPAT when it comes up because that's a, an absolute beast of an exam for anybody wanting to go and do medicine. Good luck, Bernadette. 1850 That's the voice of the person. That's the voice of the young person. If you want to call it frontline, yes, that's the voice of the frontline. Decisions about exams and the future of the Leaving Cert and the future of these young people, thousands of them, is being made by people whose Leaving Cert was a long, long time ago. For the most part, at least. 1850, and they're not being consulted. What's that old saying they have? I keep quoting it for advocacy. Nothing about us without us. And what they're doing is they're making decisions around the cabinet table. They'll have a meeting tomorrow and a meeting again. Around the cabinet table, they'll make decisions. They won't talk to the likes of Bernadette or anyone like her. Oh, no. Oh, God, no. They just have to do what they're told. There's your problem. 1850 Anthony says, in fairness, PJ, the seasons are all mixed up these days. There was a few days in January were truly spring days. Yes, you're not wrong, Anthony. You're absolutely not wrong. I have a photograph on my phone. I must try and dig it out. It's an Instagram thing I did a couple of years ago. On the 22nd of December... Uh, around 2017, there was clumps of daffodils out on the South Link, clumps of them out on the South Link Road. It was like the Saturday before Mother's Day out the South Link, and that was before December. But you see, seasons and weather, nothing to do with each other. Nothing to do with each other, unfortunately. They're pure coincidence. Pure co- which is why so many people think this, that spring is the 1st of February, because it's when the weather starts to warm up. That's not true! Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. So you've got a smartphone or tablet. Then get the must-have app. So you can take us everywhere. Download the Cork's 96FM app today. And listen to your favourite shows on the go. Grab our podcasts. And get all the latest Cork news. And if you've a smart speaker, speaker. ask it to play Cork's 96FM. Play Cork's 96FM. Okay. On your phone, tablet, smart speaker, and radio. Turn up the volume. We are Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 96 96. On Cork's 96 FM. Oh, I love this argument. It's never so much fun. It's never, never as much fun as it is in springtime. In, uh, when people think it's springtime. Paul is on Twitter. This is to me now, on my own Twitter. He's having it go off me. He said, March 1st is the meteorological start of spring only. It makes it easier for statistics. For example, June, July and August are the warmest months. Meteorological spring is not correct. Met here and just make it easier for themselves. Spring begins when lambs are born. The beginning of new life. February. Paul! Not just Met Aaron, every meteorological organisation in the Northern Hemisphere does the 1st of March. And lambs being born has nothing to do with spring. That's because, that's, that's for the simple reason is that their mammies were inseminated in, enough, in time for February. Sweet divine God, man. And also don't refer to people celebrating St. Bridget's Day as old ones. I don't. Celebrate it all you like. Celebrate St. Bridget's Day all you like. It's a lovely tradition. Lovely Irish folklore tradition. 
not spring. Help. 1850-715-996. I said as well as the bad news, I had good news for you. Right? And the good news is we seem to be, even though we have a lot of work to do, we seem to be getting a handle on COVID in Cork. I've been doing the numbers every Monday. Didn't do them last Friday, but I usually do them on Monday and Friday. For a while now, for months in fact. So the Monday morning figures for the 1st of February are 14 day incidents in Cork of new COVID cases. For the last 14 days, 1,976, which is high enough now to be fair. That's per 100,000 is 395. Go back two weeks to the 18th of January. The 14 day figure for the 18th of January. Are you ready? was 7,966. So in other words, it has collapsed by three quarters in two weeks. Now, bearing in mind, we talked about this last week, they weren't testing close contacts in all of this time. So there's a, there's a health warning on this, but we do go with the official figures, so those are the figures that we're staying with. But we are conscious in the back of our minds that they're not testing close contacts. When they start that again, you could get another surge. We bear that one in mind. But go back to the 1st of January. Our 14-day figure was 1,908. 1st of December was 320. So we have a lot of work to do. An awful lot of work to do. That having been said, in August, our 14-day figure on the 1st of August was 10. And in July, on the 1st of July, it was 5. We could get down on the present rate of decrease. And again, with that health warning on it. On the present rate of decrease in cases, we could get down to single figures per fortnight now in six or seven weeks, which is Easter time. So things are going in the right direction in Cork. It's going to, there's a bit of work there, a bit of time left. We could get down to single figures in six or seven weeks. People always want to know what's happening with vaccines. The national number of vaccines, they do it every Wednesday. The number of vaccines administered as of last Wednesday, and I'll give you this, one's, this week's ones when we get them, was 161,500, including both first and second doses. Now, that's not a lot. That is not a lot. 161,500. We nearly need to ramp that up a bit. 1850-715-996. Paul's getting very hot under the collar as well on, on Twitter about, about spring. And the answer is simply lies in science, Paul. It does not lie in anything else other than science. And there's your, there's your thing. No one's making dates up to suit themselves. It's just old science. You know that horrible thing that tends to be based on facts? Yeah. Science. 1850-715-996. A very, very special woman celebrates her 103rd birthday of around now. It was actually yesterday. She lives at the Bon Secours home on Lee Road. Celebrates or celebrated her 103rd birthday yesterday. If she's listening to us this morning, then good morning, Sister Colette, and happy birthday. I speak of Sister Colette Hickey who was the first ever Cork Person of the Year, way back when they started doing it. And also she was the founder of Adele House. 
a very special place right there in the heart of the city centre that provides succour and support and help for hundreds and hundreds of women and children every year. Uh, Sister Jane Murphy uh, joins us. Sister, good morning to you. Good morning, TJ. Tell me a little bit about Sister Colette Hihi. I, I met her at that very first presentation and I met her once or twice along the way. Very, very special woman. You have it there, TJ, when you say a very special woman. I suppose I know Sister Colette for about, just thinking this morning, for the last 38 years. Um, I met her when I came to Cork uh, as a young, raw uh, woman working down in the South Mall. And um, I offered to become a volunteer in Eagle House. And I suppose my relationship with her has grown through the years. And she's just one wholesome, practical, down-to-earth woman, full of compassion, um, holy, um, who has a great capacity and had has a great capacity still to listen to people um, to hear what they have to say just truly amazes me how she can listen to people um, I met a man recently who she who knew her years ago and he said always when he speaks to her she asks about his family can name every one of them, can remember them still interested in where they are and what they're doing and that is the way she always was um, she was described to me at one stage years ago as the Mother Teresa of Cork um, so many women that went through the services in those early years with very little resources available but Sister Colette was the one constant there who was ready to welcome them with open arms How, did, how did she come to found or bring Idel House to, to, into being? Um PJ, um, Good Shepherd Sister and Good Shepherd Sisters were asked back in um, 1972. There was um, a hostel, I think, for kind of country girls in the Mardyke, um, and Good Shepherds were asked to help out with the running of the service. Shortly after they got involved, I think it closed for a little while, and then um, it opened up again uh, to be in the capacity of serving homeless women and children. Uh, Sister Colette told me that she had to spend many hours back those days because when they got involved originally, the place was filthy, is how she described it. So just to get it in order. So, um, yeah, she was the person involved at the very beginning. Um, the services have grown hugely over the years from that initial seed that was sown. Um, sadly to say that the need for the services has continued yeah. and is ever more in need today. Um, I suppose I've been involved myself from being a volunteer back in those days to joining the Good Shepherd Sisters and being out of Cork for a while, but being back involved in the services for the last 20 years. And I can say that <clears throat> I've seen huge changes, huge developments, very proud of the work that we do every day of mm. the that, the volunteers that are involved in our services, they really are heroic people. It's it's been a hard year for all of us, of course, but particularly for Adele House with, with COVID added into the mix. You've had to change the way you do things quite a lot. Well, PJ, last year has been unbelievable for us, and um, we've had to change completely the way we do things. Um, we have we have a number of services under the umbrella of Good Shepherd Cork. Edel House is one. Um, we have four residential centres, and we've had to in Edel House and in Redcliffe, which is a family hub, 
um, that we run in conjunction with Cork City Council and the HSE, we've had to reduce uh, our, our, our capacity there because of social distancing. Um, for example, in Edel House, we would have had the capacity for 18 single women. We've had to reduce that down to seven because women can't share rooms. They're still sharing bathrooms, but they can't, you know, that's the best we can do. Um, we've had to reduce the capacity in Redcliffe from 17 family rooms down to, uh, we've had to take four rooms away because of, um, you know, shared kitchen facilities um, and because of um, people needing to isolate so it has been extremely difficult in that capacity, also in trying to keep COVID out of the services. And we proudly and thankfully say that we have managed to do that. I was about and to it, ask you that and I was going to do it very carefully so that not to, you know, I wouldn't like to identify anybody. But you've actually managed to come through from day one to now without a case. Absolutely. That's brilliant. That has required hugely hard work um, by our by our staff day in and day out and being rigorous in, in, in everything that we do. And PJ, you know, in between Eden House and Redcliffe we have we have over forty children there. So you can imagine with no school at the moment how difficult that is to be able to manage social distancing and to keep the children um, <clears throat> you know, safe. Um you know That's remarkable. one of our managers were telling me during the week that, you know, the children are craving interaction. Uh, they can't interact and um, they need interaction, but our time at the moment is, you know, trying to keep them from interacting, actually. That's no, that's that's a remarkable record, an absolutely remarkable record, particularly in, in the last eight or nine weeks, Sister Jane, and you should be very, very proud of that. I know pride to run the seven deadly sins, but we'd allow you for today. <laughs> um, like, also, as well as offering the, the, the help to the people who come and stay, families in B&Bs, uh, you help them too, do you, as best you can? We, we do, as an extension of our service, um, we have a, what we call a B&B outreach team who um, identify families who are who can't get into the, the services that are available at the moment, the emergency services, so they are placed in in, in B&Bs, um, sounds glamorous, bed and breakfast, but there's no breakfast available in most of these places. So um, these are hidden homeless people, families, single people, and our team um, work with those people. Um, as somebody said recently, there's a lot of paperwork involved in getting out of homelessness. Um, so our team um, support them as best they can. And then as places become available in our services, the, those most in need and the most vulnerable um, get those places yeah. People, we, we, I suppose one, one very <clears throat> important point for us is that we have for probably the last 15 years been working and advocating around improving the service offered by Eagle House and Cork City Council kindly, probably 10, 12 years ago, gave us some land alongside Eagle House with a view to developing yes. new, a new service and we, we are absolutely thrilled that actually that work has been ongoing and now, in a few weeks' time, we will be um, occupying the first part of this new development, which is a whole new build, um, and that will accommodate um, many people, but also it will afford a single room to all our single women um, and and families as well. And has that been progressing even throughout lockdown? They've been able to get that, keep that going, yeah? Yeah, in the first part of lockdown, all right, uh, the the, uh, the builders had to pull back for a while. 
But luckily, because we're seen as an essential service, it has been able to continue. So we hope that by the 1st of March, all our staff and residents will be moved into the new block and then there will be um, a reconstruction of the present building. So it will be actually the end of the year before we have our new state-of-the-art service, but it will be... um, for, for Cork City, you know, I often describe Edel House as a safety net for the city. So yeah. we're delighted that we'll be able to offer, you know, a, a better service, which will give more dignity. That's what we were about all Super. the time. That we would be in a single room to all the people that need us. You, you, you mentioned there... Um a lot of paperwork involved in getting out of homelessness, which I think is a superb way of putting of putting it because when some when people come to the point where they're almost out and they can see that finishing line and they can see where they might get a place, the paper they are smothered in in paperwork and they need a lot of help. Yeah, well particularly the people um, PJ that are out there, you know, on their own in, in kind of hidden out in, in B and B's very isolated, um, anxious, nervous, frightened, um our staff are able to befriend them and to, you know, steer them in the right direction and help them and, you know, provide resources uh, to them. Which is great. Yeah. It's great. You're, 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 the, the work that you do is, is, is fantastic down there. Tom Walsh has called to say that the Legion of Mary had a hostel for women in, in Dublin founded by Regina Chaley, or was yeah. it called Regina Chaley? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Meaning the Queen, the Queen of Heaven, and then the the Adel House was modelled. I think he said on on that particular form, and then they were very short of volunteers with the Legion of Mary, so the Good Shepherds came in with Sister Colette and did an even better job, and eventually got to to take it over. Um, Andrew, well, actually, actually, PJ, when I became a volunteer way back in 1983, I, I, I did two hours a week on a Tuesday night with two smashing, beautiful um, women who are both dead now, Maureen and Sheila, and they were Legion of Mary members. Yeah. Um, so the Legion of Mary were involved in the earlier years, all right. Yeah. Now, there's a, a lot of people ringing up here just to wish everybody well, particularly, of course, particularly, of course, uh, Sister Colette. But Andrew has recently established an advertising agency, Andrew Carroll, and we know that he has a big brand launch coming up uh, shortly, and he is going to give 50% of the proceeds of his launch brand uh, to Adele House. Oh, that's fantastic. You can say thanks to Andrew. And actually, if I can, PJ, can I just say that just say thank you to the people of Cork for their support for Eagle House and for all work and services, particularly this past Christmas. I suppose in 2019, many of the events that we would depend on, fundraising events throughout the year, particularly our annual Churchgate collection across the city in the month of December, and shopping centre collections that we would do, other events organised by schools and other organisations didn't happen. We ended up with a deficit at the end of the year and are very nervous about the coming year as to, you know, a lot of these events will not be able to happen this year as well. But that said, the people of Cork have always supported Eagle House mm. and our services and we just want to say thank you sincerely to them. And I just, you know, before we go, I really want to thank our staff. They, day in, day out, um, are heroic in the way that they, that they work and the way they, you know, treat people that we work with. Finally, uh, and a very important question, how is Sister Colette? 
on her 103rd year. Acting people as in full-time residential care. Sister Colette is actually well. She's frail in her body, but her mind is absolutely perfect. And she's, as I say, interested in everything and everybody. I speak to her every night about 8 o'clock. And uh, we look forward to the call. That's brilliant. I'm delighted that she's so sharp because on the occasions that I met her, a sharpness of mind that just beyond, beyond what you expect. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's wonderful. But please, she won't remember meeting me. She met so many people over the years. Please send her my personal regards. I I promise you I will. And um, again, uh, can I say just thank you to everybody and that's the one thing that Sister Colette always was gratitude for everything that was done for all the great people that were involved down through the years in supporting our work because as well as our staff we depend on a lot of volunteers for her for our boards and management and that so she was always grateful for the great people that were involved down through the years. Fantastic. All right, listen, thanks very much. Sister Jane Murphy uh, from Adele House uh, just to mark the 103rd birthday of the great sister Colette Hickey and to hear that she's frail in body but still as sharp as ever in mind. That's wonderful news on this Monday morning. 185715996, the number to call, the text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. Remember our hashtag is OL96. And you can contact us through Facebook. Message the Cork's 96FM Facebook page. And mark that message, please, for the attention of the opinion line. If you missed anything in our first hour this morning, remember you can get it in the podcast, which we put up early to mid-afternoon. You'll see it first on our Twitter feed. We put the link up there, and then it goes to all of your various platforms, including the Cork's 96FM app full replay of the full show on our podcast released every afternoon if you missed anything you can catch it there 1850 Sally message or sent me a tweet from she lived in Germany uh, this is to do with spring even poor old President Higgins is caught up in this folklore nonsense about spring uh, I lived in Germany for a bit December January and February are counted as winter that's because the Germans have their heads screwed on properly. From what I know, though, St. Bridget's Day is, and this is interesting, St. Bridget's Day is a cross-quarter day, the midpoint between a solstice and an equinox. And these days were often used to identify the seasons. Imbolc, Bjautna, Lunasa, and Samhain. Now, Samhain, that works, Sally. That works because so many people think, for example, that winter begins in November, which is when Samhain is... But of course it doesn't. Winter and summer and autumn and spring begin and end at solstices and equinoxes. And I could go into them if you want me to, but I won't. But basically, the upside down of it is what we call Midsummer's Day is not Midsummer's Day. That's folklore. Nothing else. What we call Midwinter's Day is not Midwinter's Day. That's folklore. Nothing else. Those days are the solstices and that's where seasons begin and end. 1850-715-996. Uh, Eugene's one was 365 days in a year, divided by four, is roughly 91. 21st of December is midwinter. Uh-uh, Eugene, not true. Uh, 45 days either side bring you up to February 6th. Not true. So you can 
bugger off with your March between the 1st of spring. The 21st of December is the winter solstice. The solstice is the start. The solstice is where the seasons begin astrologically or astronomically. Not astrologically, astronomically is where the seasons begin based on light and sun and position of the sun. Let's come on. 1850-715-996. I love this. People get really stuck into this one. I'm glad you marked Sister Hickey's birthday, says Mark and Bantry. They're good people in the church. It's very unfair. They're all tarred with the same brush. brush, brush. The church is reforming for the better, slowly but surely. I wonder when she'd say the first of spring would be. True, true Mark, true. She'd probably base it on what St. Bridget said, I suppose. D says, my late sister... Lived in Edel House and to honour Sister Colette, her birthday and volunteers, I'm going to give them the hamper. I think my sister would be happy with that. Not too sure, Dee, what hamper you are referring to, but that's very kind of you. Very kind of you. On daffodils, which of course come up every time we discuss spring, and you can have daffodils any time from December to March. So let's not go there. I just put a bunch of beautiful daffodils in the window. I'm doing it in memory of Cara O'Sullivan. Beautiful daffodils in memory of a beautiful person. 1850 715996. And please don't argue spring with me when it comes to lambs, because that's just biology. The date is irrelevant now. There's no such thing as seasons in Ireland, says Sheila. It's always rain, with just a few days sun. And in the summertime, the rain is warmer. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. 1850-715-996. Friday night on The Late Late Show, a young man called Oliver was honoured as one of the AXA community heroes. Um, he raised €30,000 for charity, walking five kilometres in 50 days, which, for a lad like Oliver, is a very... Very tall order. Alison is his mom. Alison, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good, good. Now, I think, was it you or, or his dad talked to me during the summertime when he was actually doing this? Um, it would have been me. Dad yeah. is not brave enough. Okay. So, <laughs> remind us again about Oliver. Um, Oliver's eight. He's a twin and um, he has cerebral palsy and also epilepsy in the background. Um, and back in the first lockdown... Um, his sister was doing the couch to 5k around the green in front of us and um, Reuben joined in as well and Oliver was upset because unfortunately he wouldn't have been able to join them. So Kevin said, you know what, Oliver, we'll do our own um, couch to 5k and adapt it to suit you. And then Kevin got thinking and said, do you know what, will we put a bit of fundraising to this and try and make some good use out of it? And so that's what we did and we set up the GoFundMe and it took off like a rocket. Um, and Oliver walked 100 metres every day for 50 days and um, reached his, his 5K. Now, outline um, for people who wouldn't understand the, the, the physical limitations with which Oliver lives, 100 metres is a long walk. It's a long walk for Oliver, yeah. When he, he walks with a walker and he also has um, orthotics on and he also has a suit, um, a DMO suit, which... It's very like a, a really, really tight spanx is how you could describe it. And he also has a bar in between his legs as well to stop his legs from crossing. So um, he can't walk without any of those supports. Um, 
So for the walk, 100 metres, we did it outside our, our house here. So um, 50 metres up and 50 metres back. And when he first started, it took him about 40, 45 minutes to go up and go back down. Um, so that really was a lot of energy. Yeah, he'd be knackered um, at the end of it, would he? He would be absolutely exhausted and the legs would be weak and everything after it. But as he went on and the more he did it, some days we got down to if he was in the form and he was, enjoying it we were clamossing him along um he got down to some days to do it in, in 10 15 minutes which was a brilliant brilliant um yeah so it was all we were we had no therapies at the time with with everything being in lockdown um so it was motivation as well to get him out and keep him exercising keep him moving um and it was motivation for us all as well to keep moving alongside him as well um, now, the charity, it would just started off as an idea. Had you any notion it would raise 30,000? No, no, absolutely no notion at all. And it was, it was 37,000 he, he raised. Wow. Um, we set up the GoFund and when Kevin was setting it up, he said, what will I put down as, you know, the target? And I was kind of thinking, I put down 5,000. And I said, God, Kevin, I said, you're really pushing it there like I said look let's go with a thousand and see what happens and he said no he said well put down five thousand and he said sure every penny that comes in is a bonus so we won't worry about reaching the target or not um, and within 48 hours we'd blown past the five thousand um, euros um, and that just spurred us to keep going and we just you know promoted it more on media and social media and stuff and people were just so generous, absolutely so generous, and the support was just huge, huge. And remind us again of of the charities that benefited from this. So Enable Ireland, um, and they're his service providers, um, they're based there in Curryheen, so he's got all his physio and OT and all his services there um, for his cerebral palsy there. Um, dogs for the Disabled, um, who are uh, run assistance dogs to help people with their mobility. Um, it's an independent charity so that all um, fundraising is done um, privately themselves and they get no funding at all. Um, and then CUH Charity, um, in CUH Oliver attends his neurologist there for um, his epilepsy. So all charities that would be significant in Oliver Oliver's life. And um, he had said at the start he, he wanted to help those who helped others was what he, he said one day when we were chatting about it. And so we said, you know what, let's go and let's do this. Mm. How did um, you find out then about the AXA Community Heroes? Um, we had been nominated by a friend, um, a gentleman. I wouldn't have known him very well, but Kevin, Kevin knew him. Um, and he not put our nomination forward. And we got a phone call from AXA then um, earlier last year to say that Oliver had been nominated um, and that Alan had put his name forward. Um, so we were blown away with that. You know, that was so kind and uh, so humbling to, to hear that. And um, there was a long process. It has been delayed a little bit here and there with all the restrictions and that. Um, and we were nominated and there was over 1,200 entries into the into the competition and we were windled down to the to the final few um, and then on, on to the late, late on um, Friday night then 
um, and got a surprise. There was meant to be only one one prize winner of one twenty thousand for the chosen char- charities, but then on the night um, there was five of us um, there, all from various parts of the country, and AXA donated um, twenty thousand to each of the five of us. Wow. Um, for their designated charities. So that was just amazing. That's fantastic. Come a long long way from him looking wistfully out the window at his sister and wanting to do something, isn't it? It is, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's still still walking every day. He still does his walk every day. Um, Now the weather isn't on our side at the moment, but hopefully now we're getting into the brighter days and um, we um, we got a treadmill as well so we're trying to train him up on that as well so if he doesn't get outside into the fresh air to do it he does it inside here and there. Physi- physically in the very good for him too of course absolutely yeah yeah he's really got so much stronger um, with, with it all and it's just to keep the motivation going because some days it's, it's hard and there's no denying that there are days that he doesn't kick and scream and doesn't want to do it um, and certainly these days are hard for us all to keep motivated. Um, but yeah, he, he does it and um, yeah, we're very, very proud of him. How are his services? They're all down at the moment, are they too? Um, essential services are running. It's running a little bit more than it would have done, done it in the first long, um, lockdown. But um, we're certainly getting what, some some um, therapies and stuff that we, we need that would be considered as essential. So um, it's not quite as uh, restricted as the first round, okay. but certainly not um, where we should be, you know. Okay. Um, well, you know what? Good on him. Good on you. Good on the family. And, and a great, Thank a, you. great outcome. That's Alison Lynch. Uh, Oliver's mom. Oliver has raised thirty-seven thousand euro for three charities. Doing a little walk every day. Another twenty thousand now from extra on top of that. I think he gets a few bob for himself as well, which is great. Uh, congratulations, Oliver and the family. Just coming from an idea, watching his sister doing her walk. He can't do it, not the way she can. But they just said we'll do it our way. And there you go. I suppose you could probably relate that to spring. Little message I'll ring read after the break. Um, maybe, maybe I'll maybe I'll allow it. Maybe I'll allow it under the present circumstances. We'll do it next. Eighteen fifty seven one five by nine nine six. By the way, Bebo is back. That's Bebo. Do you remember Bebo? Do you remember Bebo? Like I mean, Facebook, Twitter, Insta, TikTok. You name it, they were... Bebo was the kitty of them all, started them all. Uh, it's coming back, like. It's coming back. Bebo! 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. To 9 a.m. On Cork's 96th Like Lady Gaga's amazing singing for the national anthem. That was pretty impressive. Was that Lady Gaga? Yeah, yeah. Jesus, she's normally dressed up as origami or a fry. <laughs> I thought they were after ordering Madonna off wish. <laughs> Casey and Ross in the morning with no DC cars Blackpool. Celebrating the arrival of the new Skoda Octavia. Book your test drive now at noldc.com. Exclusively Skoda in Cork City. Cork's 96 FM. 
This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now 083 396 9696 on Cork's 96 FM. All right, all right, all right, all right. Audrey says, Give it a rest. If people want to consider today the first of spring, so what? It's what we've been told since childhood. And it gives people a morale boost that is much needed. The 1st of February symbolises brighter evenings, flowers coming up and better times ahead. People, in, in fairness, it was people were told it in school for years and years and years. So I talked to one man yesterday whose children are still being told it in school. <laughs> He's been trying to tell the teach. No. Uh, Jesus PJ says, Mags, you're like a hen with an egg on the first day of spring debate. Time to agree to disagree. I think maybe we will, Mags. We'll agree to disagree. You're still wrong. But anyway, uh, because, look, we'll have this debate again. But I suppose with the dark, owl dull, owl awful old times we're in, if you want it to be spring, then sure, maybe it'll be spring. And maybe we can all have Christmas on our birthday. But I get the point. I get the point. 1850-715-996. On illegal dumping. Why do people dump, says this message? It's probably because they can't afford it. When Cork City Council was in charge of the refuse, people on social welfare had their bins and rubbish collected for free. Has the amount of fly tipping gone up since it was all privatised? Should it go back to it being run by the City Council and people living on welfare getting the services for free well you don't A you don't have to be on social to be a fly tipper and I would honestly argue and I will make this argument the people fly tipping are probably not on social at all Uh, they're just people who couldn't be bothered their arse dumping properly they were always there they will always be there should the council take over the running of the bins again well they could if you had about 12 million euro to spare to do it. And we'd have to pay for it anyway. But yes, you'd get a waiver, admittedly, if you couldn't afford it. But look, if you load up your car once a month, once every six weeks, load up your car, push down the seats, take everything to the dump and chuck it down the chute, that's 20 quid. If you have stuff like a washing machine... That's two quid at most. There is no excuse for fly tipping. Never. By anybody. 1850-715-996. Now, Bebo. I had a Bebo page. It was fun. It was messing. And I don't think there was as much of the nastiness on it as there is on the cesspit that is Twitter. And places like that. Maybe I have a kind of a slightly rose-tinted view of it, that it wasn't as nasty or as horrible as, as Twitter, or, or even how Facebook can be nasty and horrible too. I, I just thought Bebo was fun. Silly, and very clunky, very hard to use, but fun. And it is coming back. It is coming back. It died a few years ago. Um, died a death. But it's now been bought... I think it's been bought by Amazon. Nicola Margin is features reporter with the Irish Sun. Nicola, good morning to you. Morning, how are you? Good, good. Were you on Bebo? You're too young, I'd say. No, I was on Bebo. Yeah. Yeah, loved it. 
Good. Yeah. So how 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 did it reach meet its demise, and and how is it coming back? Well, the thing was, it was the first ever real social media over here. They had MySpace in America, but it didn't really take off as much here. And then Facebook came and killed people. So everyone was so excited by this new Facebook. It looked different. It had all these new features. And we'd been on Bebo for years, so we wanted something new. So Facebook just killed it off. And if you go looking for your own Bebo account, now, admittedly, I've long since forgotten my password, but if you go looking for your old Bebo account, will you find it? No, all gone. So a few years ago, they had a way you could go back and get all your old pictures and stuff like that. I did it. It was mortifying because if you look at all the social media now, it's all perfect. Everybody looks fantastic. They only put up the best of themselves. Bebo wasn't like that. You just put up every photograph. And you would have had a lot of them that you had to leave the pictures into the chemist. So you'd upload all of those pictures. No and your filters. hair, no filters, your hair's a mess. You didn't even know, remember the picture being taken. It was a lot uh, more natural. Yeah, yeah. Am I dreaming or was it nothing like as nasty as, tw- as Twitter can be? Oh, it was so much nicer. Well, the whole premise of Bebo was that you shared the love. So it started off with every user got one love a day that you got to give to another user. Then it went up to three. So when you were leaving comments on somebody's wall, you had the chance to give them some love. So people were writing nice things and giving them a little symbol of love. And then, of course, you had the option to have another half. So your account was connected to somebody else. So it could be your boyfriend, girlfriend, best friend, whatever. And it was just lovely. It was so much nicer. Mm. So how is it going to come back? Well, it's all private at the moment. So it's not like we can all log on and just get a Bebo account in February. But it's all private. You get sent a password by somebody. I think that's kind of how Gmail started. You have to get invited to go on it originally. That's right. That's right. And then that's what Bebo is going to do. And we're going to have to wait and see how it looks. Is it going to be the same style? Are you able to put up flashbox music videos? No, we probably have some copyright geek now after you for it these days. That was brilliant too. Oh, it was brilliant. You used to put up, you know, your tune, your favourite tune of the week and people could draw on your wall. I'm sure you remember that, I do. PJ. I do. And then, of course, the quizzes. So you'd put up, do you know me? And 20 questions or whatever. And your friends would comment underneath. And like nowadays, if you did that, the amount of nasty comments somebody would write. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This thing, there's a thing going around Facebook at the moment about concerts and uh, your favourite concert and your first concert and the whole thing. And, and I put mine up. And I had to explain that the first concert I ever saw, I was brought to. I was about 10. So I had to explain my taste in music. That's bad. That's mad carry on. Yeah, because everybody has an opinion on everything these days. I like, I, I put up a tweet the other day about the lovely intro to the Late Late Show, which paid tribute to some people who died from COVID. And straight away, somebody is with a negativity. I don't pay my license oh, fee for yeah. this. I'm like, they're not preaching. They're just sending a message to put show the people behind the numbers. You you didn't get that back in Bebo days. No. People were just like so happy to reach. Here's a cool fact: a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact: you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. 
United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. People they might not have seen in a while. And as I said, sharing their love and commenting mm. and sharing memories. Yeah, sharing the photograph that that you took in the nightclub. Yes. Remember them? Remember nightclubs? Remember nightclubs, Nicola? Oh, oh just about. Just about. <laughs> I'll be with the date. And the picture taken in the nightclub when you definitely had one too many and you spilt the last one down the front of your shirt and nobody cared. No, that's the thing. When I look back at the pictures that I downloaded, um, you can't do it now. It was only a limited thing a couple of years ago. But when I look back at my pictures, I was like, why did I have this on my account? <laughs> you know, you have pictures where you've no makeup on, you've the girls don't understand there's no tan or anything like that. And, you know, you're sitting in the garden, you're not even looking at the camera, but not posing. And these are the sort of pictures that you had on your account, not filtered, face-tuned, 16 yeah. pictures just to get one. Yeah. And counting each other's likes and, and all that, yeah. Yeah. No, I, oh, we didn't care about likes. No, we didn't. No, we didn't. No, we didn't. Who's looking at that? There's a fella in Poland looking at me, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Nicola, lovely to talk to you. And we, so we have to be invited to it, do we? Yeah, originally it's going to be you have to be invited. So right. if you get an invite, PJ, send me one. Oh, I will, I will, I will. Oh, you get, <laughs> you, if you, and if you get it, you, you, do you get a number? I remember when you mentioned Gmail. When you got into Gmail, then you got five invites of your own or ten invites of your own. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, so you'll be able to invite somebody and they'll get a special password. Right. Um, but I'm, they haven't released how many people yet you'll be allowed. If Bebo's coming out, coming back, I wonder what else will come back. Do you remember jelly bracelets? Jelly bracelets. I remember jelly sandals as well. Oh God, yes, yes. <laughs> replaced by replaced by Crocs, which was about which was a decision that required criminal charges of its own. <laughs> and other stuff. Nunchichi monkeys. Look, what about the uh, hair mascara? You probably don't remember no, this. I don't. Uh, no, no, I wouldn't be into Us no. girls had, you know, blue hair mascara. And you thought it was just for the eyelashes. Okay. Well, yeah. Blue hair mascara? Yeah, blue hair mascara was a thing back in the teenage discos. I'll have to look that one up. I was, you see, I was the D, I was the DJ, so I was looking at it from behind ultraviolet light and everything just glowed, including something. So everything looked blue from up there. Teeth. 
And we let, <laughs> let's not go on about the, the girl in the black dress who forgot we can see the white of everything. I know, stop, stop, stop. <laughs> stop, stop now. <laughs> see you, Nicola. Take care. Bye-bye. That's Nicola Barden, features reporter with the Irish Sun. Bebo is back. I can't wait. 1850-715-996 on dumping. If you go to Tremor Road in a car to recycle appliances, there's no charge. It's only if you go in a van, they charge you two euro for your appliances. Morning, PJ. You said we were told in school that this day heralded the start of spring. PJ, we were told a lot in school. Listen in class, do your homework, and you never have a problem getting work. And if you fell in the school, you were told that's only a small cut. It'd be better when you're married. That's from Andrew. Thanks, Andrew. PJ, my birthday is today. Happy birthday. I was always told in school it was the first day of spring. I know you were. And John says, just open your window, look out, close your eyes and listen. The birds are singing. It's the first day of spring, says John. And look, people want to believe that. Let them off, I suppose. Let them off. They also believe they can win the lottery. Some people do, I know. 1850-715-996. Just getting back to Oliver and his mum, Alison. Uh, she wanted to express her thanks to all. And without the support of the people at Cork and beyond, Oliver wouldn't have had the opportunity to get the nomination and the prize. Thank you for that. Alison, 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's Entertainment. Cork's Stephanie Rainey returns in 2021 with a brand new track, the first of four tracks she has planned over the next few months. No Cowboy is out now and Stephanie's also announced a show coming up in St. Luke's on December 10th. Access all areas. Cork songwriter Jack O'Rourke is set to showcase new material as part of Cypress Avenue's Winter Songs. You can catch Jack on the venue's social media platforms tonight from 8pm. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show coming up or any live streaming events by emailing aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to Nightlife on Lisa. On Cork's 96FM. Last week we were talking, look, we've been talking for weeks between this programme and many other programmes talking about the craze on TikTok, the, the sea shanty craze, which has now turned into a full-blown obsession and is making a lot of money for that lad from Scotland. But, but there's another craze has started on TikTok now. <laughs> one craze is stranger than another. People are now sharing videos of their kitchen gadgets and comparing their kitchen gadgets and look what I have and <laughs> what on earth is this thing for? Something that they found in the kitchen drawer. And what on earth is that? What does that thing do? Or, or listen, you too can have a body like mine if you have a gadget like this. Wonderful. I saw a thing myself over the weekend uh, on poached eggs. Now, this wasn't on... This wasn't on TikTok, uh, it was on Twitter, where this guy, Philip Nolan, he's a journalist, but he puts up his pictures every evening of his dinner. He's a remarkable cook. He puts up his pictures of his meals every day. It's just something getting him through lockdown. I keep telling him there's a, a book in it. But Philip put up a picture of Eggs Benedict that he'd made himself with the poached eggs. And someone was saying, how do you get the poached eggs so right? And he uses little baggies for them. Um, all sorts of gadgets. And one of the leading authorities, shall we say, on kitchen gadgets of all kinds 
is Caroline Hennessy, the Biblio Cook blog. Caroline, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Yeah, leading authority on kitchen gadgets. I think that's, I'll take that. I'll do, definitely do, take do, that. Do, 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 do. <laughs> because, our, and you know what, I spotted a few of these videos and they're funny. And you know the way TikTok, when you start looking at videos, it starts throwing you more like what you've looked at. Yes, so lo- yes. It's a bit like Netflix. So there's loads, loads of them there. And then as, a, as someone who's particularly partial to a poached egg and can't, seem to get them right. I saw Philip's little gadget of the weekend. But kitchens are full of stuff in drawers sitting there. What's that for? What does that do? Oh, you're totally right, PJ. And as like if you walk into any shop, like I think particularly Aldi and Lidl these days, everybody comes home with some random avocado carver or uh, like with the poached eggs, egg baggies now aren't a bad idea at all, um, or something something weird and wonderful that that they see the brightly coloured plastic and thinking oh. I could use that. I could use that. But, you know, it really, I think you're, it's a kind of a pejorative term in some ways, kitchen gadget. But something that could be so useful for one person is like thrown, as you say, in the back of the drawer at my house. So you have to figure out what kitchen gadgets you're going to use, really. We, we, have, we picked this thing up. We picked up two of them. One of them's gone missing, but it'll turn up. I don't know where the missus found them. I think it might, like you said, might have been, might have been the aforementioned. Aldi, it's like it's like a <laughs> yes yeah, for putting lemons in. So when you cut a lemon, right? Yes. You put it into this. It's got a membrane on it, and it seals in, and it keeps the lemon fresh. So what there you, you go. She puts two of them into the fruit bowl, um, and it's just another another. And then I, I predicted it in a year's time. It'll, what, what was that for again? Or do you remember? Do you remember in the orange knife? Oh, yeah. it was like a, a thing. It had just had a hook at the end. And you used it to peel the orange, and you know you can you can always use your fingers. Those are useful gadgets. And I, I I like those kind of gadgets. I, know. I think what what are the because I love cooking and I love food and people people often give me kind of kitchen things, and one of the things I don't like doing is separating eggs. I just can't be bothered. I'm like right. I, I just can't be fast. And um, my mother-in-law at one stage turned up with. A kitchen, like a, a special gadget for separating the eggs. Is that and the I thing just, like a tea strainer exactly. that you pour the egg into it? The what? Yeah, that's it, and it just sits there, and it's very it like it, I didn't have the heart to tell her. It's like not the gadget; it's just the fact that I couldn't be bothered separating the eggs. Um, so, but you know, she thought she was like, "Oh, this is a brilliant thing. I use it all the time. Mm. I I know Caroline we could use it all the time." And I have to admit, PJ, it's never been used. I'm glad she's in New Zealand. She can't hear this now. So <laughs> oh, we're, she we're, can. Oh, the, we're oh, on the world. We're on the world wide web. Oh, no, I won't tell her. I won't Hello, tell her about it. Well, okay, it's whatever time it is at night over there. There's oh, yeah, an, an, okay. another another yoke that uh, my dad used to have one of these, and I. I remember mentioning it before, and you can still get them. Do you know some people still like to use real tea? Oh, of course. Uh, do you remember the spoon that used oh, the to spoon open and with close? The little, yes, yes, like and a little sieve itself. Yeah, 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 you can still get them. I didn't realise that. Oh, you, you're not a real tea drinker then, PJ, are you? You know, well, you I'm must be going me. for the... Oh, you see... Now, coffee drinkers and gadgets, I have to say. Oh, yeah. We've, <laughs> listen, we've got three coffee machines and one in the press. 
and I bet you do you do you have um the the AeroPress as well? No, no, we've got a Dolce and we've got an espresso well that's my daughter's and we've got something that came out of Aldi and I don't know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> you see, this is the thing. It's like you know, your daughter is going, That's my coffee machine and I have to have that and I have to admit there was one Christmas um and I found under the tree two big boxes with my name on it. And I'm thinking, what on earth is this now? You know, I didn't ask for anything big or, you know, it wouldn't be kind of like like my other half to produce something big under the tree. And um, when they were unwrapped, and he wouldn't let me have coffee that morning. I was getting really grumpy. And when they were unwrapped, it was a coffee machine and a grinder. And PJ, I have a funny feeling that those gadgets weren't really for me. I think it was more of a present for himself. Now, don't get me wrong, I use them and I, I do enjoy them, but my gadget up to then for the coffee was a mocha pot on the stove. So, you know, like the little, oh, yeah. it's a little metal, little metal um, gadget again. That Can you, you use it. those? I have no idea. These ones you get them in Spain, they're in the drawer in Spain. Yes. Yes, every Spain and Italy, everywhere you travel, like on the continent, um, and they've been my lifesaver when, when, we, when we do travel over there, <laughs> when we could. What is um, that? What the hell but, is this? <laughs> no, they're, they're fantastic. You just put, unscrew them, put water in the bottom half, put in, there's like, again, like a little sieve thing that you sit on top of it, and you put the coffee into that, and then you... Um, put on the top half and then the water bubbles up through the coffee comes out into the top into a little chamber and you pour yourself a cup of the most amazing smelling it's actually one of the ways of making coffee that you have the aroma way before now you mentioned you've got stuff like what's this obsession with slow cookers like I love my just slow turn cooker. Just turn the oven down. Just turn the <laughs> oven down. No, PJ, you couldn't be doing that because you would be wasting all the electricity. So you put your slow cooker on and you use up far less electricity. Yeah, yeah. And I think, oh, definitely, definitely. It's a far more useful, um, it's a far kind of more economical way of cooking. Um, because the electric, or sorry, the, not the electric cooker, but the slow cooker basically uses about a light bulb's worth of electricity. Okay. So you can cook your dinner away and also, like, turning the oven down and leaving the house isn't an ideal sort of situation. So back in the days where we didn't all work from home, um, you know, what I used to do often in the mornings was I'd put a stew or a casserole or something into my slow cooker and then I would just leave it to cook and we'd come home to a hot Mm. dinner. And actually, my slow cooker is so loved that it takes... On, on my cook, cooking hob, which is like four four plates, say, it takes up the fourth one because I never use the fourth ring of oh, the cooker. There. It lives there all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And yep. it's so, like, I, I use it, I would use this every, maybe three or four times a week. Um, yeah. Tortilla press, what's that? <laughs> is that for making wraps? <laughs> it pretty much is. Well, okay, so now we're all stuck at home. And we actually have time to use our gadgets, which is the other oh, thing. Yeah. You know, a lot of these are sold as time-saving gadgets and then they're not in the end of the oh. day. But I, for, for me, I think um, one of the, like, the advantages of, you know, working from home means, <laughs> and schooling children from home, means that we have a bit more time to prepare meals. So 
what I love is a gadget that will A, help me get dinner made and B, get the kids involved. Mm-hmm. So a tortilla press, and I've got this, um, there's a, a place called Picado Mexican in Dublin. It's like a Mexican grocery shop. And so you can get all fabulous Mexican ingredients. So I got the, the flour from it. There's a specific, particular flour you use for this. It's a yeah. cornmeal flour. Yeah. And you make your little ball of dough and then you put it on the press and you flatten the, the, um, the dough and then you dry um, fry it on a on a frying pan, and there's your fresh tortilla wrap, and it tastes like nothing you've ever got really? in a packet. Oh yeah, the flavour is incredible. So that kind of thing is something that the kids. That's what the gadgets that are top for me are like the gadgets that 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 kids like as well. Mm. So like we've got, I got a pasta machine a few years ago, oh, and really? yeah, and it's like you know it's just simple, you know. Clip it, or not clip it, but uh, nearly weld it onto the, the worktop so, to, so it will come off and, and use the handle then to twist around um, the, the parts that move. So basically, you get your, again, you make your dough. There's lots of making dough. Uh, put it onto the top of it, and then as you turn the handles around, it passes through between the rollers, and it gets rolled out thinner and thinner and thinner until you have your tagliatelle or your lasagna sheets or something like that. Mm. And the kids are so good at it now that they can actually do the whole thing by themselves. I'll just, I'll make the dough and give it to them. You're enslaving your children, basically, is what you've done. Well, you know what, PJ? There's a very good reason for that. If we're all going to be at home, we may as well all pull in together. And I have to say, kids will eat food that they've helped to prepare. This is true. Yeah, and it's a good gadget then. There's one I'm thinking, seriously thinking of of buying because um, I I can't. First of all, I'm married to a woman who makes the best omelettes in the Western world. I just say that without fear of bias. But I can't, when I make an omelette for myself or for my son, all I get out is a kind of a undignified looking splodge, which tastes fine, (laughs) but it looks like someone ran over it in the car. And I love one of these things that you just put the whole lot in and it comes out properly shaped. Oh, so you're, 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 do you know what you need to do, Peter? You don't need a gadget. You just need to watch your wife a bit more often and pay attention, pay attention there. But you know, like something like, um, again, you can get these in the, dis- in the German discount supermarkets, the crepe machines. Um, and my cousin, my cousin has one of them. And again, like, if you're making crepes for kids, they're full of eggs. They're full of it's full of milk as well. And again, if you can get the kids to do it, you know. Now, I don't have one because I just have have them trained on the cooker for that for, for doing crepes if they want it. But again, it's a, it's about getting. I suppose if you're looking at gadgets that way, um, while we're all stuck at home, you may as well get something that's going to cause a bit of fun in the kitchen yeah. and get the kids engaged. And you know what? That's homeschooling. Teaching them how to... Oh, you know what? You're not wrong. I think they should all be doing home economics, boys and girls. All oh, of them. very much so. Because if they learn Maybe if I'd done it, I could keep me omelettes for looking at someone <laughs> drove over them. <laughs> in, in the whole TikTok thing, Caroline, have you seen anything that you look at and go, I want one of them? I don't know. I have a... <laughs> You I had think, them all, right? I, um, no, I didn't say that now, PJ. I didn't say that. Um, I think 
sometimes you just watch you just watch TikTok videos of, of what other people have, and you're like going, "I'd never use that." And then other times you're like, "Ah, oh, I could that could be fun, but I won't spend the money on it." Mm. And then other times you're just bored in the kitchen. You're like. Hand me the gadget and let me play with it. There was another, you know? there was another one. Um, do you remember the thing when you were making an apple tart or when my mother was making an apple tart, right? She had a kind of a little roller that she's put around oh. the edge. And I'm thinking, ma'am, have you no thumbs, girl? You're going to cook it anyway. Like, Have you not got thumbs? <laughs> you see, and I bet your mother loved that gadget. She did. Yeah. She did, yeah, she did, yeah. And she used, to, you, she used to take all the, 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 the cuttings of the pastry and she'd roll them into something else. They were very, very... Come here, come back to... They're poached eggs, these things that are out there to make them. Are they any good? Um, well, I haven't used them myself, but what I did teach the girls to do um, last summer, because we actually had hens, was to poach their own eggs. So, basically, with a, a slotted spoon and a pan of bubbling water, and they just went for it Mm. you know so and you know like no they're not going to be picture perfect they're still a little raggy around the edges Mm. but it didn't matter because they They all taste the same yeah Yeah. I've got a bit of a poached egg thing at the moment all right I I must say I I, I really like now uh, you do your own hollandaise as well of course then Peter and you'll be sorted absolutely (laughs) air fryers now I as far as I'm concerned a chip that comes out of an air fryer is an interloper. <laughs> it does not belong on my plate. <laughs> well, I have to say, the air fryer, like, and again, it's one of these things that, that people go rave about if they, you know, if they're into it. But my mother bought my father one for his birthday, um, which just after Christmas. And uh, I, so and I borrowed it because I was like, I'm really want to get you, you know, to try this out for myself. And I thought the length of time it took the flipping chips to get cooked. Yes, yes, you'd be gone to, you'd be, you'd be gone to Dino's and be home. You know? <laughs> I was like, you know, actually, and I did a test that night because I was going, this is interesting, right? So I did the chips and I cut them up for the, the air fryer the way the instruction said. And then I did another set um, and I just boiled them very lightly, uh, very quickly in um, in water, and then I threw them into the oven with the same amount of oil that went into the air fryer. So, you know, whatever, t- one tablespoon or whatever, give them a good toss. And the kids voted the oven chips. Oh, yeah. My, like, you know. Oven, oven chips are improving. They, 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 well, were, this, they, they were in a fence for a while, but they are improving. But these were, these were done from scratch as well. Yeah, so, yeah. like the air fryer ones. But, yeah, no, I have... I have friends who swear by the air fryers. I have a sister who adores her juicer. I couldn't be bothered cleaning a juicer. It's never going to come into my house. My father um, has a friend that he calls George, who is George Foreman. Oh, uh, oh God, no, God, no. George makes no, his lunch no, no, every no, day. No, 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 God, no. And <laughs> it, comes out, it comes out looking like an odour eater and tasting worse. Well, God, my no. father could not live without George. Oh, it's no. Every, every day, his toasted sandwich comes out of George. No, toasted sandwich is fine. I, I can live with that, except you'll roast yourself on the tomato. No. The, the, <laughs> yeah, don't go for that. Put a burger or a chop into oh, George. No. And no, you can, you can play hockey while it comes out. Like, it's... <laughs> anyway, listen, it's been great fun. Caroline. Oh yeah, Paul has something. A, a cone dripper reusable coffee filter. 
Oh, yeah. well, that you know what? That's a get. If you drink a lot of coffee, that's yeah. a very good gadget to have because you're not, you know, you're not wasting anything and you're no. not throwing your your filters away. So that could that could be very handy. Indeed. But yeah, the, the Aeropress was one that made it into our house, and I hated it. The what? <laughs> the Aeropress. Aeropress. Um, an Aeropress is a coffee gadget where you use, like, it's like a little plunger nearly, and you're using, you're, you're pushing the hot water through the coffee oh, under pressure. Isn't it? No, no, that, that the cafetiere is, is bigger, but the Aeropress is like a small, it, it's definitely more of a gadget. A cafetiere is oh, a very useful they, thing. They used to give you, I remember a place in town where they used to do those, those, those little, yeah, they didn't last very long. Caroline, listen, yeah. a pleasure to talk to you. And, you and, too, Peter. And, and your blog and everything to do with it is Biblio Cook. That's great. That's fun. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. 1850-715-996 the number to call the text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696 email opinion at 96fm.ie Twitter at opinionline96 and of course Facebook Cork's 96fm Facebook page message us and mark your message for the attention of the Opinion Line if you missed anything in our first couple of hours this morning remember our podcast goes up mid-afternoon completely free of charge we'll tweet the link once we upload it and then it'll go to all the individual platforms including the Cork's 96FM app and if you subscribe to it on any of the platforms you'll get an update when our new one is there it usually goes up sometime in mid-afternoon lots of responses to kitchen gadgets and to my uh, cooking skills or lack thereof and my comments about chips and an air fryer I, I, I don't believe that air fried chips are the same as anything you get out of Dino's and they certainly aren't the same as and I know you can't use them anymore so don't be getting at me right but I remember the chip pan with the basket do you remember those they were they were, they were, they were kind of a copper colour a chip pan with an actual basket that dipped into it now they were lethally dangerous and there was terrible fires out of them and, and, and so the, they should rightly be banned I don't know if they still are but if they are still around at all but a chip pan chips out of a chip pan when you've eaten those everything else is a very very pale second place um, but anyway I'll get to those comments in a minute oh they are still available thanks uh, some readers don't stock them but they are uh, still available yeah uh, I'm surprised there's not more talk about the eye yet this, now we will come back to this we will come back to this I think um, because uh, that new zero COVID or we can be zero group that's set up I'm anxious to talk to, to them at some stage this week and find out some more even though we've been talking to all the individual members for months I'm surprised there's not talk about the independent article yesterday about Neffet telling the government the borders needed better controls when you think of all the people who died over Christmas they were warned then you had the Christmas influx coming in from other countries to add to that I'm in shock that our government would do that. Yes, I read that article yesterday, very early yesterday morning. <clears throat> they suddenly independent. Quite a long piece from, I think, Hugh O'Connor. C-103 has been informed. Beg your pardon. Um, the independent, Hugh O'Connell, had quite a long piece in the Irish Independent about the, the, the relationship between Neffet and Minister Stephen Donnelly, which, by all reading of the article, is not a good one at all. Neffa did warn against doing things and then 
weeks later the government reacted. You remember back in the day when Neffet and Leo had that falling out uh, in October and inevitably we ended up doing what Neffet said a month later. Neffet also said it would be wrong to open up the hospitality and the house visits in the same week, 10 days. We did and look where we are now. And Neffet has been talking since the very start of this about tightening up you know, transmission across the border and about tightening up flights and tightening up traffic in and out of the country. And now we're starting to take notice of it a little bit. So yeah, a lot of the stuff, and the woman who was on the phone, Terry, is telling me, was very shocked to, to have read this article that the advice from Neffet with regard to the borders and with regard to the ports and with regard to the airports, it has been ignored. And then in very hands, Neffet get ignored and then weeks later, we end up doing it anyway. Because the situation is what it is. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Now speaking of COVID and all the things that come with it, uh, very sad to see uh, over the course of the month of January. I think did it, Fergal, you'll know off the top of your head, did it cross a thousand the number of fatalities in the month of January? I believe it did. I'm open to correction on that. Um, and yes, it did. And for no, for none of those people, they had a normal funeral. And anybody who has died since COVID began and since restrictions came into place, they've not had a normal funeral as we would have known a normal funeral. And you know, purely on a personal level here, and this is speaking completely personally. The one thing that I dread, dread, um, the course of this, through COVID or not through COVID, is losing a loved one or losing a dear friend. Like last, last yeah, Cara was a friend of mine, but I would have gone to that. But I'm talking about losing a close friend losing a close friend or losing losing a loved one. How the hell would you do? How the hell would you do it? How the heck would you give people like friends and loved ones the typical Irish send-off that we love to do? You can't. You absolutely can't. And it must be, it must add to the heartbreak of losing somebody. And one of the people that obviously we find great, we take great solace and comfort from in times like this, or times like that rather, is our priest, or whatever particular religion you happen to be, or our padre, our local spiritual leader. Father Charlie Kiley is the parish priest of Our Lady Crowned in Mayfield. Charlie, good morning to you. Good morning. It's the dread of everybody that you know, you have to do a funeral for somebody in the middle of all this. It's changed and changed utterly, hasn't it? Yes, it has changed dramatically for a lot of people in the sense that they were used to the traditional three days, you know, we, you know, gave them time. Could you get us closer to that phone, Father, please? It gave them more time, like we would have the traditional rosary on the first night and then there'd be the removal and then the funeral the next day. And 
you know, people were used to that. That was the, uh, one of our Irish traditions. It's, it's the only country in the world that used to have that. It doesn't happen anywhere else in the world. Mm. And, you know, that, that, that's difficult for people because that's what they were used to. Now they're, uh, they're restricted to 10 mourners now at this time, which is, again, can be stressful on a family because, you know, they have to pick 10 people that can only come into the church. Yeah. And, you know, that's hard for people. And then there's other people then in a family that because they have an underlying condition, they know they can't go yeah. and they have to stay at home because they know it's own benefit that they have, to, because they're afraid to come out at the moment. Because since Christmas, I think there's a big change uh, out there in attitude. Uh, people are afraid to congregate and are fearing of, of, of catching the virus or spreading the virus. It works both ways, as you know. Yeah. And and so it is difficult. However, uh, family members, like we do a lot of funerals up here because it's just a, a, a large parish. Oh, families have said as well that the small numbers, if they had a, had a funeral maybe within the last few years, compared to that, they find it more... They have more time to themselves to grieve. They, they're gathering as a family. They have time to talk. Yeah. Uh, they have time to reminisce. They have time to spend uh, time with their loved one. Yes. And they like that aspect of it in one respect. But uh, you know yourself, if you, someone died recently and, and they came to your field, it's all and the person has died right up to the time they're buried. You know, to go, 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 and you have crowds coming, and you have people sympathising, and mm. it's like even with my own mother's funeral some years back, you know, it was all going, and next thing it was all over, and you're kind of looking back, and you're saying, God, what happened there? You yes, know? yes, yes, I came out, my, my dad passed away January three years, yeah. and like that now in the story, I, I, I look back, where, the way I look back at it was that that was what carried, I can only speak for myself, that was what carried me through the grief of my dad's exactly. passing. Yeah. And then yeah. when everyone went away, then I grieved on my own. Yeah. You know? But yeah. yeah, so that, that, that change has come in in a different way now. Yes, we're, it's been forced we're on people. together as a yeah. family now, we have time to talk to each other. Yeah. Whereas before, you didn't have that time because everyone was kind of allocated a job to do and you look after the catering or you look after this and you That's look right. after that. And uh, so now they're, they're, they have time. So basically what happens now is the undertaker, or maybe the family, have been onto us. Uh, maybe the day or two before that, or before the person has passed, and then, you know, we we arrange the funeral. Then, and and what happens basically is that uh, the undertaker normally is the per- my first point of contact. They ring me to say, look, you know, John Murphy or whatever name is has died, and we would like to arrange the funeral. So we, so we allocate time. So I, I normally would say to them, just don't rush it, take your time. There's no, there's no panic here, you know. Yeah. Uh, give the family the time that they need. And then I normally would ring the family member that's the point of contact, and I would talk to them just to say who I am. Uh, we're not, I'm not ringing out to arrange the funeral at this time just to say hello, you have my number, you can ring me later, and I'll talk to you. And... So, but you see, in the past, normally the priest would have gone out to the house and visited yeah, the family. Yeah, I was just going to get to, and, to say that, like, it would have been, down. you'd get yeah. the call 
you would get the call that so and so had passed away the night before. And or, partic- you might, or you might get the call and say, would my mum or dad is dying, would you come would you to the house? Yeah, oh God, that. that must be heartbreaking that's, for people. Yeah, so that's hard on families, so we can't do that either. But the, the, our bishop has assigned certain priests in the diocese to do that, that are trained to go out and do it properly. So they, they can get the last rites. So uh, many people think they can't. They can by arrangement. So it, it, it certainly, if you don't have an underlying condition or you're under a certain age, certain priests can go. Yeah to the home so many people think that can't happen but it can so um, but it's still it, it, it's heartbreaking that you know you just can't go and sit down with the family yeah. uh, either before or after the, the, the person has died and sit down and talk to them and yeah. and, 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 and arrange because you're, you're almost a stranger and I'm new in this parish I'm only here about three months so a lot of the people I would never have met uh, so that's difficult as well yeah. And uh, one lady there a few weeks ago, she said, I, I, she said, I, would you mind if we did a Zoom or a face-to-face because my mum needs to see you, you know, and talk these things over. So technology has come in. Indeed. In, in a good way as well, in the sense that we can, without going to the house, you can talk over the phone, you can do a video link and, and talk to the people and make make that arrangement and and, and, and the and churches in fairness the churches have really pulled out all the stops and the yeah. diocese have pulled out all the stops in getting getting masses to to online and in good reliable feed as well which is great that that yeah. obviously helps it does and it's it's very positive and the feedback is is very good from people as well um in a funeral now for example we we have live streamed all our funerals and they're recorded as well so they can go back and look at them as well if, uh, you know, because maybe for whatever reason they can't log in at such a time. Uh, you are also bringing people in from across the world, like family members that can't come home, yes. uncles, aunts, cousins, and they can actually sit down as a, as a family unit and once we know that they're looking in, we can talk to them as well and yes. bring them into the funeral. So, uh, in many respects, we're including everybody, and technology has, uh, 10 years ago, if this happened, we wouldn't have any of this. Yeah. So technology is, is working very well. It's been a massive, it's been a massive, in, in that, massive help. Yeah, and then I'm, I'm, I'm on every morning, and we have our masses as well at 9.30 yeah. here. And again, you see that the amount of people following every morning is great, and uh, before the Christmas, people were saying, "Oh, I miss my mass every morning, and I love coming out and and all that sort of stuff." Now they're they're understanding how serious this virus is, and they're they're minding themselves and yeah. minding others as well. Yeah. And but the good thing about it is the church is open. Yes, people for, can come to the church for when, private, when for private like prayer, it. which is that's, that's, private, that's, that's good. Private prayer, yeah. Private before prayer. I let you go. Uh, Father Kylie, I want to ask you about. Look, it's it's what this is the first of February. We really are no more than seven or eight weeks away from the start of confirmation season, and we're only a couple of months away from communion season. Before I let you go, is there any notion or any idea for people planning a confirmation or planning a communion in the house? What will happen this year? Do we know yet? Not really, but the teachers have been on to me, and we've been talking to the teachers here in the parish and uh, the bishop can only make a decision on that when it's safe to do so and it will be following 
government and, and, and the health authorities guidelines on that and we will obviously act upon it when it's safe to do so. We, as I say, it, it's, it will happen, but when we don't know. But okay. the, the children are not in school at the moment, as you know, but uh, what they're, uh, the most of the stuff they're doing is online. And here in this parish, actually, what they do is on a Friday morning, the boys and girls in, in our primary school here uh, log into the Mass every mor- on a Friday morning as part of their confirmation preparation, and I speak to them. Uh, uh, at the mass into their homes so again they're preparing but they don't know when and the bishop will in, in time give us guidelines on that okay. but at the moment we, we're going to start the 5th of March at the moment yes. uh, on this lockdown and uh, I presume when when, about would when say, would confirmations I know they're forced when, <coughs> when would they start roughly in, in, in your they normally start around Ash Wednesday Normally, you know, oh. around the middle of February, early oh. March. So the starting uh, there would be starting yeah, much earlier last, than I thought. Last year, see, the 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 parish priest was delegated by the bishop to do them uh, in September for the, the boys and girls that missed out. Yes, and uh, so that that probably will happen again okay. this year. You know, right. uh, there'll be days. You see, obviously, we'll have to work towards windows of opportunity. Yes. Yes, I know. Uh, when, when it's safe to do so, because you don't know if this virus starts increasing again, and then people have to go back into yep. safer lockdown. So, so we true. just have to be ready and prepared. And again, we have to do it. No matter what we do, we have to do it safely. Absolutely. You uh, know, I, I leave it there for for today. And and thank you for that, uh, Father Father Charlie Charlie Kiley, he's parish priest of Our Lady Crown Church in Mayfield. Thank you very much for that. Uh, want to stay with the subject of funerals and bereavement during COVID, but I just wanted to go there for a minute or two on the subject of the communions and confirmations. I'd forgotten how early they start, as early as Ash Wednesday or or even early March, so that'll certainly affect them. As soon as we know for certain, or as soon as we're able to talk to Bishop Gavin about it, uh, we will certainly do so. 1850-715-996, but staying with these exceptional times and the dread of having to bid farewell to a loved one in the midst thereof. Um, how do you prepare? And there are those who prepare you and those who counsel you before, during and after. I'll talk to one of them next. 1857-15996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Six to nine AM on Cork's ninety-six FM. Ross, four point eight billion people on the planet own a mobile phone. Okay, wow. Only four point two billion own a toothbrush. They still got Bluetooth and had the other half of yellow tooth. <laughs> Casey and Ross in the morning with Noel DC Cars Blackpool, celebrating the arrival of the new Skoda Octavia. Book your test drive now at noeldc.com. Exclusively Skoda in Cork City. Cork's ninety-six FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show, The Opinion Line, with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. Now, if you're dealing at the moment with a situation in which a family member, um, or a loved one or a friend, well, that they're 
their days are short and you're waiting for what will happen and you're probably dreading the thoughts of it all happening in these very exceptional times because you might say, well, okay, look, do you know, some people know that their time is limited and they begin to make a little plan. They plan everything to the letter and and they know what they want and you know what they want and you want to give it to them. But in these exceptional times that they can't, that's just one element of it. And the emotional preparation for it before, during and after is all changed now. Even the ceremonies have all changed now. So someone who is terminal, shall we say, uh, they they can't plan, they can't meet their priest, they can't meet their friends to plan what's going to happen. And even if they could, it mightn't happen anyway. That must make it even harder to prepare for something that is coming. Orly Keegan is Head of Education and Bereavement Services at the Irish Hospice Foundation. I was browsing the website this morning, Orlan, I have to compliment you on the amount of material that is there with regard to how to how to prepare during mm. these difficult times. Good morning, because Look. there is there is no easy way, is there? No, there isn't, and um, I suppose the human brain isn't really wired to deal with uncertainty. And what we've seen since March is there there's been no real predictability to our lives and everything is uncertain, very hard to plan for, very hard to control. And that's particularly when somebody is ill or after somebody has has died. Um, So we find ourselves in a situation that we don't have maybe the script for. Um, We tend to be quite good at knowing, particularly after a death, what to do because we have a very strong cultural script that nearly sets out for us what will happen and people come on board to help us, mm. you know, with the wake, with the funeral. And, and that that has a comfort in it. Um, when every single part needs to be, you know, retaught, that's a big stress for people. Mm. Um, and, and they've had to find a way. So partly the reason for us putting up those resources you mentioned on the website is to, to just to be a help to people, to to see that, okay, well, somebody has thought through some of the things you might need to think about if you're planning a funeral or if you're recently bereaved and, and who is there for you and who you might reach out to for support. Mm. And I suppose in certainly in, in the hospice movement, you talk all the time to families who, who know that the time is coming, just not the mm. day. But you know, and and yeah. you can help them to be ready and to put plans in place. But you can't do that now because you don't know you don't know what the what will be allowed when it comes. This is exactly it. Um, and I suppose one of as as the hospice foundation, one of our big things is to get the philosophies and the practice of hospice everywhere. So regardless of how a person dies, whether it's a sudden death or an accidental death, whether it's, uh, you know, from a different range of illnesses, that always they'd be met with, you know, compassion and, and open communication. And um, so that really uncertainty and the lack of ability to plan is met with, you know, and that, that we sort of just have to have to maybe sit with a person and say, look, we can't be sure. But whatever happens, 
um, there will be a system in place. Yeah. You will have a guide. I mean, the funeral directors have really been very important um, of late in really just being able to keep on top of whatever the new regulation is, yes. whatever the new constraint is. So yeah, there is an element of just having to experience what you experience at the time that it, that it crops up. Um, it's hard. There's no doubt it's so, very hard. Something that must that. crop up um, is the the preparation and the after and it, in, in, mm. in this regard. So Orla... Mm. A relative is 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 terminal, is dying, and they may have weeks, they may have months, but they they also have what they would like. Yeah, and yeah. they have also talked to the family, maybe or to a mm. best friend, about mm. what they would like. And there is yeah. the it must be terribly desolate to be able to say, "I can't give John what he wants." I'm going to fail him even at this hour. And afterwards they say, I couldn't do what Mary wanted. And there's a guilt there and it's very hard. Yeah, I suppose it it does all come back down to that original conversation, PJ. You know, do we actually know what Mary wants? Like, I think we have to be much more open in those conversations about planning ahead for what we would like and what our preferences would be. But to also realise that, you know, it, it may not be controllable. Um, I think people, if they're planning things like their funeral, the sort of things they tend to talk about is, well, I'd like music or this particular readings or, you know, I'd like... So that sort of element can be maintained at the very worst of times. And um, some important readings, music and tributes can, can still be made. Mm. And I think particularly you've put your finger on, on, on what it can be for the brief to feel guilty or to feel regret. And those are very devastating feelings. So I suppose what we'd be, we'd be hoping that people could do is say, look, the person who died loved me and I loved them. Um, we had a funeral that was as true to them as could possibly be given the constraints. Um, there will be, and people have talked about, you know, what the future holds. It could be next year, it could even be further in time, that much more public tributes and getting together and gatherings can happen. But but for the moment, we're having funerals that are meaningful, but more more intimate um, which may feel for some people more isolating, but we've also had people on our support line who are saying we had such an intimate family time with, with you know, being able to spend those yes. few days just together. So there's unexpected benefits. While it's very hard, um, people are very good at, at drawing the best out of a situation. Yes. One of your particular leaflets all of which can be downloaded in PDF form, which is mm. great, is suggests, and I suppose this would work in a COVID-related death or not, think about nominating somebody to be mm. a family spokesperson to work with the directors and work with everybody else. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and it's, it's, that becomes very important with COVID because if you're a close contact, you may not be able to meet the funeral director face to face 
Um, so if you could nominate somebody from the family who isn't, um, I suppose, uh, worried that they have COVID, then at least some meetings can take place. So that's an example of a very practical piece of advice um, for someone. Um, and the funeral directors, as, as I said earlier, they really are very sensitive and very aware of the local yeah. um, situation as well. I mean, they know the size of different churches or different venues. Um, and, yeah. and they also also can tell you what other families did and that's reassuring to know um, that you're not the only person who's gone through this you know so that sort of real um, immediate guidance at that point is important and self-care and I will always remember this um, Orla most recent and closest funeral to me was my dad Mm. And and what and as the the eldest I guess I, I kind of was ended up in charge of it all in a way yeah. Yeah. Um, what I remember afterwards was when all was said and done, the exhaustion mm. and the the, the 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 need to mind oneself. Yeah. We can't. Yeah. Astra- I've said it every time since when I know someone who's lost. I say, mind yourself. Mm, mm. Be kind Absolutely. to yourself. Absolutely, in the most basic of ways. You know, keeping up your eating, having sleep. And the fact that grief also happens in our body as well as in our emotions and our tears is is a huge surprise to people and they can be totally wiped. And then our our feeling that there's maybe something wrong with them or they're 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 sort of judging themselves and saying, No, I should be I should be better able for this. There are no shoulds, exactly that. And being gentle and you know giving yourself the good advice and care that you would give a friend and mm. um, I think that's a that's a really important lesson yes. that, that those of us who've grieved have have learned Orla are there numbers or websites that people can can get support there are um, I mean the the resources you're talking about are on the hospicefoundation.ie website and they're they're called Care and Inform. Mm. Um, we also have a, a national bereavement support line, um, also um, helped by the HSE, um, and its number is eighteen hundred eighty seventy seventy seven. And you you get to talk to people and who'll just listen to you. Um, and if you have queries or questions, they'll do their best. Um, and also, it's a national line, but it would know, you know, some of the services that are available in your in your locality. Okay. All right. Listen, Orla, thank you very much. I do appreciate Not at all, your time. PJ. Thank, thank you. you. Take care. Cheers. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. That's Orla Keegan from the Irish Hospice Foundation. Kevin has just posted on our Twitter. He says, my uncle passed in Bristol 10 days ago. A proud new market man. His provisional burial date is February 25th because of the backlog. Uh, R.I.P. Willie. And can I just mention a good friend of mine, a good friend of mine in broadcasting and in life, um, Declan King. Declan is living in Kinsale now, but a dub. Um, and Declan lost... I think quite suddenly at the weekend, one of his childhood friends. They'd been friends since they were boys of five in Dublin. And he lost Tony 
over the weekend and Declan is bereft and uh, my thoughts are with him and his friends today. 1850-715-996 The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM With Lehan Motors Leading the way for Toyota hybrids The place to order your 211 Toyota See Motors.ie. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM Monday Blues, we've got none of them around here 20 minutes of the best music mix non-stop All your favourite tunes and everything you need to fight through the workday See you from 12 on Cork 96 FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now 083 396 9696. On Cork's 96 FM. Sometimes around the city, generally by night. Uh, you'll see them out around Cork Harbour and in the little beaches or wherever you see them. You might see them up the river if you're lucky. Uh, I have seen them up the river uh, and certain, certainly you look down, there's one at the bottom of the step, otters. We have a very large population of otters in Cork and it's healthy and it's thriving and they're beautiful creatures to look at. And a new movie has been made about Cork's otter uh, population. It's directed by Tom Mason and uh, narrated by Dr. Tara Shine, who was on the programme with us a few weeks ago. Cork Otters. Uh, Jill Wayman is the chair of Cork Nature Network. Jill, good morning to you. Good morning. They're good morning. fascinating little creatures. They're beautiful to look at. And for some reason, we have a large population of them in Cork. Do we know why? Um, we don't really. I mean, otters in Ireland, um, they're found in most of the cities. They're certainly found in Dublin. They're certainly found in Galway. And in Cork, and it's really lovely to see, you know, that that we have otters and they are there for everybody to admire. Mm. Now, filming them isn't easy because they like to come out at night and they're shy little devils. So the minute they see any activity, they're gone. They were very hard to film and it took months and months of patience um, just being at the right place at the right time. Um, so they are quite hard to find, but you can actually see them during the day as well. There are quite a few sightings of them, mm. and usually um, in the River Lee along the day, you know. So they are there, but with any sort of wildlife, it's just really lucky if you're there at the right moment. I've seen them at the bottom of some of the steps. That's right, yes. You'll often, if you if you have a very good eye, you might see some of the sprints on the steps too, yeah. where they mark their territories. But they, you will see them all around the, the city. Lovely, lovely, lovely little creatures, and they look so—they look so beautiful with the sleek, the sleek back and all that. So, the, the, the film was made. How, tell me about it. How long is it? What's where was it filmed? When? And it was filmed. It was filmed over the last few years. I think we finished it around about 2018, and we were hoping to show it at SeaFest. Sorry, it, we've, it was 2019, and we were hoping to actually show it at SeaFest last year. But, of course, with the COVID situation, we weren't able to do that. So um, it has been delayed, but we've actually we've tied it up with International Wetlands Day, um, which is tomorrow, which is yeah, tomorrow, so we will be showing it then. And where so can we see it? Um, it's booked out. <laughs> Um, show, just shows the amazing response that we have had. But um, the link will be up on Facebook on our on our Court Nature Network Facebook site and our, all our other social media sites, um, the Instagram and the Twitter. It will be up on them 
tomorrow night after the film. So, and you will be able to actually see it live, the discussion live tomorrow night. So we'll be able to watch it the, on on the Facebook page whenever we want to. Is that it? Um, it will be up there for a certain time, and the okay. film will actually be linked up to our YouTube oh, brilliant. Nature Networks page. So it will be there for people to watch for future. Brilliant. When will that be? When will the YouTube be available? Do you know. Um, directly after the film showing tomorrow night. Excellent. I look forward to watching it myself. Thanks very much, Jill. That's great. Uh, Jill Wayman, chair of Cork Nature Network, the new film called Cork Otters. Uh, Their their opening is booked out, but the film will be on YouTube and Facebook and all other places to watch within the next couple of days. To finish out today, there's a piece in the echo, and it ties in with something we chatted about early in the show um, with Bernadette our Leaving Cert candidate who's got so much going on in her mind at the moment and tried to fill in the CAO form today or CAO application today. How do you put yourself in the right frame of mind? It's a good piece in the Echo today on page 16 uh, written by Enya O'Connell who's a Cork-based freelance writer. But I think, Enya, you could probably advise people who are sitting down today to do this, that there's a lot of things that no one tells you until you're stuck in the middle of it all afterwards. Good morning to you. Uh, morning, how are you? Good. There is a lot out there that you didn't know was out there and that, say, if, when you were filling out your CAO form and looking back on it now, whole different world. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think anyone who's um, been in... <laughs> been through college or uh, anything similar would agree that when you're filling out the CAO form, um, there's really just no way of knowing where you're going to go because, um, I mean, you've been in school your whole life. Uh, very few people know someone directly in the area that they're thinking of doing. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of pressure on you to pick the right course and, um it sort of feels like the most important decision you make in your life at that time. And I think it is very important in some ways, but there's a lot you don't consider. Mm. There's also an awful lot of weight put on it that, you know, in re- realistically, it's, it's, it's not as big a thing as, as we think. But move forward to graduation, because you, you, grad- you graduated, I think, right in the middle or right at the start of the pandemic. What's that like? Um, yeah, it was quite bizarre. Um, we all sort of was, uh, thought it would be like a month-long thing or whatever, and then it just kept snowballing, you know, and um, sort of came to the realisation. It, it was very bizarre. Um, I went from uh, running around college, I went to a bunch of balls, I went for a weekend away in London, and um, literally the week I came back, uh, that's when everything sort of uh, hit the fan, if you will. <laughs> so mm. I went from this high-flying lifestyle, not a care in the world, to suddenly your entire future has a giant big question mark over it. And mm. all these nice plans you've been trying to lay out for yourself just like evaporated overnight. Yeah. Looking back, you, your graduation was obviously online and all of that. And then you have to try and get into the jobs market and... How how hard was that? Um, yeah, I think um, it was very difficult, um, especially because when you're graduating college, I feel like you just have a lot of pressure on you anyway. Um, 
even if you have people who are very supportive around you, you know, society kind of does put this pressure on you to get your life moving, get going, be um, successful. You have to, um, this is something I find is you're, you're um, shortly, uh, sort of partly because of the way we're raised in school, we're very much focused on, okay, I did a degree in, let's say, law, uh, that means I have to get a law job. And if I don't get a law job, then I sort of failed in some way or I'm not good enough if I don't get a job in the thing that my course was directly in, which I think adds a lot of you did, didn't you? Yeah. yeah, I did zoology. <laughs> and, um, you know, you sort of think to yourself, okay, well, what was the point of doing all these four years learning about animals I can't get a job in animals, and I, I think people put a lot of their self-worth onto what their job title is, um, especially when you're coming out of college and you don't necessarily have the real-life experience yeah. that... Um, like, like when you were doing the zoology degree, and I, I, I did zoology myself in college for a couple of years, so I can, I can identify. When you were doing <laughs> the zoology degree, like, had your career path in mind... Um, I sort of did in the sense that, um, you know, I really, I, I was hoping to get into like nature documentaries or uh, conservation, but I think, you know, I, I was just interested in, interested in it in general. So mm. um, I kind of, and I don't regret doing that, but um, yeah, you don't get a very clear picture of what a quote unquote job market is yeah. when you're going into college. Yeah, you've come back to do a master's, I think, and, and was part of that down to the situation in which you found yourself. So you decided to look, let's just pause it for a while, go back to a master's, and see what happens after that. Is was that a part of your decision? Oh yeah, definitely. And I think a lot of people um, in my course and in my friend group um, are doing the same thing. It's sort of, I guess, it's buying time and getting some sort of experience at the same time as. Um, the world is sort of tipsy turvy, uh, toppy turvy, and difficult to find a, a internship. You know, which is a horrible word by this point. I think everyone who's graduated is kind of traumatized by the word internship and who's got one, who hasn't. Um, I also think with social media, we do tend to compare ourselves, especially on um, platforms like LinkedIn, which focus only on employment, which is a lot of people. Um, sources self worth, you know. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And figuring out what do I mean? Normally, when you're going back to do a master's, you'd have all sorts of help, you know, insights, advice, what to do. Did you just was that kind of a pick one that suits and go for it, or did you have that kind of help to choose a master's? Um, I think it was a very rushed decision for me. Uh, I was going to take a gap year, but. Um, Sort of decided last minute to switch back, so I only really had there's not, a much, there's not much to do in a gap year, is there at the moment? <laughs> no, I mean, uh, I suppose like uh, if you wanted to save money, uh, it would be a good option to try and find a job somewhere. But um, I mean, if you're going for the whole build up your CV, your own skills, it's um, or even just travel around, it's really just not the time, unfortunately. Yeah, all right, so. If anyone's thinking of where they might be in a few years, any words of advice from a sage like yourself? Um, well, I don't, 
<laughs> I haven't quite figured that out for myself yet. But <laughs> yeah. I think uh, being okay with where you are in the moment. Um, you know, it's quite funny because talking to everyone my age, we're all panicked. We sort of feel like this incredible doom over ourselves that um, our lifespans have just been thrown out the window and there's all this uncertainty. But then you talk to people who, you know, are maybe a couple of decades on in their career and, you know, they, they tell you, no, this is a really exciting time. You yeah, know, you got your things, whole life. They have a ha- things have, have, have a habit of working out for themselves in the end. This, I'm going to leave it there. Wish you every success in the future, Enya, and thank you for that. Her article is in page 16 of The Echo Today. That's it. The programme edited by Terry Brennan, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. See you tomorrow, just after nine.